from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. It's a great day to be alive. It is a great day to be alive. And I welcome you from Munich to Marblehead and Minnehaha Falls in Minneapolis, Minnesota. From Inverness, Scotland to the truckers on Interstate 480 heading across the U.S. From Gisborne, New Zealand to Glacier National Park and from Osaka, Japan to the original lands of the Asitasakuan, the first people in North Dakota. It is great to have you here on the Badass Counseling Show. I am Sven Erlinson, your host. I am joined in studio by KC, up in the booth, who is waving to all of you. Very hearty wave, and a special wave for me. Not the whole hand. And right next to me is Rob the Rocket. What is the good Yo, word today, Rob? Always glad to have the tour of the world at the beginning of our show, Sven. And today, a history lesson, too, about uh, early Native Americans. I love that. That's it. And okay. the Cetasaquan were the ones who... Uh, uh, so, uh, you know, pipeline issues and so on and so forth. But that is my native country up in North Dakota. So I have a, I have a soft spot uh, for that uh, first people. Wonderful, wonderful. E easy for you to say that word too. I'm impressed. Well, I tell you, I tell you, I don't know. I practiced. Um, we've got a great show ahead for you today. We've got Sarah. And uh, it's, I think you guys are going to really find, uh, I know many of my listeners are going to connect with Sarah's story. And so Rob, go ahead and tear right into it, please. You got it, Sven. Here's what Sarah wrote to us and said, first, recently found your podcast, bought your book, and I'm really enjoying learning to get to the core of what has been holding me back for 50 plus years. I believe I have identified the core. I just can't figure out how to integrate it and let it go. I was adopted at six months. My adoption paperwork had notes from the foster family complaining that I wanted to be held all the time. Met my biological mom in the late 90s and she didn't even want to have sex the night I was conceived. I was never wanted. My first dad died when I was a year old and my mom remarried when I was seven. That family told me I wasn't a blood relative and I didn't count. So I have a long history of not being wanted, being neglected and made to feel I don't count. That father died when I was 14, and then my mom sent me to boarding school, so even more rejection. Then there are all the choices I made based on my mistaken core belief that I don't matter. I seem to always put myself in situations where this core is reinforced, and I want to break the cycle. I truly appreciate any guidance, and will keep listening to your podcast to see if you have any further insight. In the meantime, I will continue to make my way through your book, journaling, and making a playlist of the song selections. Wishing you a miraculous day, signed, Sarah. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for coming on. I want to ask you, what was it like for you to write that paragraph that you sent in to my producers? Um, I just took a breath and did it because you don't get answers if you don't ask questions. Um, yeah, it uh, didn't feel good. Be honest, and um, you said, hearing it read back didn't feel good. I, that was going to be my next question. What did it feel like to hear it read back? Sad. Like my life's not completely sad. It's just the beginning of it. Most, yeah. Well, it sounds like the real powerful core themes at the root of your existence, the beginning of your existence, and not just at the very beginning, but year after year, 
the core themes are unwanted and not mattering. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of um, uh, people in situations that have shown up to validate that and feed the monster for that, for sure. What has been the, as you see it, what has been the biggest impact throughout the course of your life of having at the down there at the core root of your beliefs that you're not wanted and you don't matter? What do you, as you see it, what is the long-term impact of that, Ben? The long-term impact is uh, I eat my feelings because if you have a little extra weight on you, then you're safe. Um, it also feeds the I'm not good enough monster because I'm not where I'd like to be. Um, it, it's everywhere. It's like you don't notice it's everywhere till you notice it. Um, and then you can't stop seeing it. Right. Why is extra weight safe? Help me understand. Why does having extra weight on you make you feel safe? Help me understand that. Um, cause you're not as attractive and then people won't find you attractive and it keeps you in a safer space. And if, cause if people found me attractive, the reason that would feel unsafe is why? Because then they could reject me, they could want me, and then if they got closer, then they might uh, not want me, and then they'd walk away, and that would hurt? Or how does feeling unattractive keep you safe? Well, there's a long story behind that. My mom was a model, and I never had a model body type, and so at age seven, she had me at a doctor saying, what are we going to do about this? And the doctor gave me medicine that I would take, it would make me nauseous in the morning, so I wouldn't want to eat, but I was still chubby. Um, like I wasn't good enough, you know? And I always thought if I could, if I could be thin enough, then I would be good enough. But um, you're saying you choose extra weight now. And again, I'm honestly just wanting to understand and you're doing great. Help yeah. me understand um, how does having the extra weight make you feel safe? And I, you're basically saying, I don't want people to be attracted to me. And because if, as long as they're not attracted to me, I feel safe. How does people not being attracted to you make you feel safe is what I'm trying to understand. If you don't get attached, they can't leave. There it is. And so is it safe to say that one of the themes of your life is making sure you don't get attached to anyone so that, because if I get attached, then they won't leave. So I'm going to stay sort of as an island or have you allowed yourself to get attached? Everyone leaves anyway. Fair enough. Have Just literally. Have you, well, that's true because eventually either I die or you die. You know, and so, yeah, they're going to leave. But let me ask you, that still doesn't answer the question. Have you deliberately stayed detached so that no one would leave? I think I do the opposite. I get attached. Like if I think there's someone, I get too attached too soon. Mm -hmm. um, but then it hurts yep. just as bad when they leave. Um, it's almost like, but then maybe I sabotage it knowing they're going to leave or I make it, make it a safe space and keep myself a bit of an Island so that they, I know they're going to leave anyway. And that's what I was asking. Yeah. When they leave, is it the being alone and all that happens inside of you when you're alone? Is that what hurts or is it them actually leaving and the message that sends to you. So is it them turning the back and you seeing their back leaving? Or is it once they have left and you're alone and all that goes in the, on inside of you? I think it's a combination, honestly. Um, I was an only child. So when it comes to being alone, like I, I can occupy my time for hours, like honestly, like it's not mm -hmm. like I'm afraid of being yep. in solitude. Yep. I mean, I've been in relationships and felt alone. Right. AF, right. So like that's, it's not that. I think it's the, um, it just feels like 
if I was good enough, someone would want to stay. I'm sorry. And like, I have, I have teenage triplets. And I don't think until I was a mom that I understood that like someone can love me just because I'm me. And no matter what I do, they're always going to like, they'll always love me. And I never had that. And it's weird, you know, like when you're little, like it's just your life. You don't know any different. It's just your life. Thief is the comparison of joy. It's just your life. It might suck, but until you know better, it's just your life. Mm-hmm. And then when you learn, like it shouldn't have been that way. Like, how do you unravel all that? And how do you fill the void that starts at like effing conception? Like, how do you, that's the part, the more I journal, the more stuff comes up and the sadder I get. And I can't figure out like how many times do I have to write the same letters? How many times do I have to ask the same questions that I'll never get answers to? What's the biggest question that you haven't gotten an answer to? What's the biggest question in your soul that has gone unanswered? Why can't I be enough? Why can't I be enough? And let me ask you a, a dumb question, but it's an honest question. Why Why do you believe you aren't enough? Um, it's all in my intro. But I'm asking you now. Why do you believe you're not enough? Do you actually believe? If I were just talking to Sarah now, right now, it's just you and me talking, do you actually believe that you are deficient in terms of what you bring to love, deficient as a woman, deficient in terms of what you bring to a relationship. Do you actually believe that? Um, I've gotten better. I had a guy a few years ago, I was like, I don't, can't figure out why I can't get in like a decent relationship because we have to figure out like what your value is and what you bring to the table. And I like looked at him like, I couldn't answer it. Mm. And this wasn't that long ago. Mm. Um, and I feel like, and so that kind of put me on a quest to figure out like, well, what is it? Where is my value? And what do I bring to the table? Because I always looked at it as if something in a relationship went bad, that it was a reflection of me. Mm-hmm. It had nothing to do with the inefficiencies in the other human, which mm-hmm. exist, by the way. But like, yes, it do. was always it was always me. And I mean, I signed up for an abusive marriage that my children have an abusive father. Like, it's like, it's the, oh yeah, you're telling me I'm not good enough and you keep showing up for me. And I don't want that anymore. And that's why I'm here today. Like I want to figure out, that's why I'm reading your book. That's why I've been like on this, like literally life quest ever since my mom passed was when I felt I was finally free enough to do it, to step into my own and be brave enough and figure out. I always had someone telling me what I liked and didn't like and how I should be and not be. And I had to figure out for the first time in my life what do I even like you know Mm. well Um, and and that's the interesting thing is I get people saying to me just the opposite well Sven my parent passed how can I possibly heal you know I can't tell them off I can't get the love or the appreciation or the attention that I or the acknowledgement that I always wanted and you're saying well I was sort of set free by mom uh leaving you know ever since mom passed um, yet it's, it can go the other way too, that even though the parent has passed, that very often they've owned so much real estate inside of you that they still own it even in death. And so, you know, there's, you've heard me probably quote that old Oscar Wilde quote, no man is truly free until he can live as though his father is dead. Well, no woman till her mother or until her father is dead. Gender is irrelevant. So clearly, if if you needed your mom to pass in order for you to have room to even begin to heal, that in, that conveys to me how extraordinarily powerful your mother was in your eyes, in your life. 
she dominated you. And how long ago did she pass? Just out of curiosity. Uh, six years, about a month ago. But like when my first dad died in the car accident, um, my adoption wasn't final and she had an option to not keep me. And her, her story that I would hear as a kid, her telling over and over again, his, he died in an accident unexpectedly. And that if it wasn't for me, she wouldn't have made it through that time. So my little brain put that in like, I'm responsible for keeping my mom alive. That's right. So mom dies and basically I fucked up. But then she also wasn't there to make me wrong at every turn. Right. So it's a, so, a blessing and a curse. Yeah. So back yeah. to my original question, and I'm going to phrase it differently. If you were to be totally honest, Sarah, if you were to be totally honest, what percent do you love you? If you were to be totally honest, that you think you are lovable and you actually love you. 70, maybe? The first time I had to say it in a mirror, I cried. So I've gotten better, but I don't respect myself that much, I know. Love okay. and respect are two completely sure. different things. Okay, so uh, you love yourself 70%. What percent do you respect yourself? Mm, that's a work in progress. Right. Maybe, maybe half and half. Maybe, 50%. maybe. At okay. Best. And just out of curiosity, what do you disrespect about yourself the most? What is it about you that causes that number to drop? when we move from love to respect, what it, what's so awful about you? Help me understand. Um, I don't respect myself enough to say no and have limits. I'm like turned to myself into the world's biggest giver. Like if you want my shirt off my back, take it. I have another, I'll find one. It's okay. Like, and then people take advantage of that and they take that for granted. And um, they do. I feel like if I say no, they'll leave, right? right? I won't be a good person. Like there was this story when I was a little kid, I got in a fight with my best friend. We lived in this apartment complex and I was real upset because she wanted to talk to me. And I went and I stuck Oreos through the mail slot in the door. And then she opened the door and we were besties again. And like, I still put the Oreos through the slot for my friends and people I don't know and people that probably don't even deserve me to do them fucking favors um, all the time. Right. And so you said, if I say no then they'll leave and I won't be a good person. You equate them leaving with I'm a bad person. If someone leaves you, the message that rises up in your soul is I'm a bad person. I'm not good enough. I'm no good. I'm not good enough. That's right. That's right. And so uh, you said, and so the part that you don't respect about yourself is that you don't say no and that you don't have limits. And if I'm hearing you correctly, and you correct me if I'm wrong, I don't mind being wrong, uh, the reason that you don't say no and that you don't set limits and boundaries is because you fear that if I do, that people will leave me and then that voice will come <laughs> roaring back into your head that I'm no good, I'm not good enough, I'm a bad person. So you're, tr you're caught in this trap. You know, you know you need to say no, you know you need to stand up for yourself and clearly a part of you believes you deserve it because you 70% love yourself. That's actually a really high number. I'm better. Yeah, and that's fantastic. And so you said, I know I need to, you, somewhere in you, you know you need to be able to say no and have limits, but you fear doing it because you fear the feelings inside. And would it be, who would you say above all else caused you to believe that you're not a good person or not good enough? Well, obviously me. Um, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> no, I mean, really? if I tell myself that, I mean, Wait right, you can't buy into something if you don't believe it. Well, no, but I'm saying where did that come from? Because I, I find it like hard to life. believe that you came out of the womb saying, hey, world, I suck. No, but right away, no one wanted me. And then the people that were caring for me as foster parents didn't 
They complained that I would cry and I wanted to be held. Like, isn't that every baby? Right. And so what I'm asking you is who put that message inside of you the most? In your lifetime, who has most put it and most powerfully put it inside of you that you're not good enough, that you suck, that you're a bad person, and that you have to basically buy people's love with Oreos, et cetera? My mom, for sure. Mom, um, for sure. My stepdad's kids. Um Right. And him to some extent. Sure. And so stepdad's kids and stepdad. All right. But you said mom for sure. So safe to say mom's at the top of the list? Yeah. Right. And the truth is stepdad's kids and stepdad wouldn't be allowed to do it if mom had been fucking doing her job. No, right? no one cared. That's the thing. Nobody cared enough to step in and tell me it wasn't true. Nobody cared enough. But whose primary job was that to do that? It was your mom, right? You'd like to think so, yeah. No, that is what it is, that the two people whose loins you come from, or if they die and you're raised by your grandparents, whoever is the primary parent is the protector, the savior, the, the lover, the caregiver of that child. And let me ask you this, just out of curiosity, you said you have teen triplets. If you were with someone uh, or you were around someone and they were hurting one or two of your teen triplets, would you allow that? Not now. I don't think I would. But when I was married, I did. Okay. All right. Because I didn't know. I didn't. What he was doing to me and the kids, I didn't see it. Like, denial's like a thing. Like, So you wait. Denial, didn't see it and denial are two different things. Didn't well, whatever it. it was, I didn't know it was abuse. I didn't know the word. It didn't feel good, but I was just trying to get along. Right. I didn't want anybody to leave. And that's, I thought my kids it. having two parents was really fucking important. That's it. I didn't want anybody to leave. That's right. That's how powerful that parental imprinting was, that that little girl inside of you was still in so much pain. Please don't leave me. Please don't leave me. I'll even let you be cruel to us. Please don't leave me. That's how powerful those messages were in childhood, that they were still running the equation when you've got triplets, when they're little girls, when they're three, when they're eight, when they're 11. That's how powerful those messages are. I got a question for you. First of all, what are you feeling right now? Give me a feeling word. What are you feeling, if you were to be totally honest? Like sorrowful and embarrassed a little bit that like that's my life. I don't, I don't want the messy parts. And the reason I don't want the messy parts is what? Well, number one, it makes me feel period. Like I wasn't allowed to feel and have feelings as a kid. But you're saying you don't want to feel. You just said, I don't like the messy parts because it makes me feel. And then you say, yeah. which implies... Feelings are bad, but then you just said, I wasn't allowed to feel as a child, which seems to imply feelings are good. So our feelings- right, that's why I'm like off kilter now. I don't know what to do with all of them. I feel like I start crying. It's not going to stop like ever. It will. But all of the stops and starts, and you said all the journaling and letter writing, how many journals do I have to write? How much letter writing do I have to do until it's out of you? And you have so much pain. I was in a 12-year suicidal depression. I would journal for hours. I would cry for hours. I'd rage for hours. The whole reason I do this shit is so that people don't, it doesn't have to take so long. And in the book, I teach other tools, such as the Sedona method, such as the accepting technique of Doreen Banizak, such as some other tools that can release faster, very effectively. But journaling helps in identifying those messages. But yeah, this is the ugly work. And every 
hour that you spend, every day that you spend, every 10 minutes that you spend doing that, you're becoming a better mother. You're becoming a, a, a lighter, stronger, clearer person. It doesn't, you don't feel a win every time you do it, but the wins, the wins are being tallied up. They are adding up and it's scary and it's hard. You told me in your, in your paragraph that you wrote into my producers, you said, uh, you know, your foster family complained that you wanted to be held all the time. Biological mom, you, heard, you learned the story that she didn't even want to have sex the night you were conceived. You were never wanted. Your dad died. My first dad died. Mom remarried when I was seven. That family told me I wasn't a blood relative and didn't count. I have a long history of not being wanted, of being neglected and made to feel I don't count. Mom sent me off to boarding school, more rejection. And this belief that I don't matter. So all of these people, your whole life rejecting you from the very youngest of ages, actually preconception. Your mom didn't even want to have sex that night. She had sex and God damn it, I got pregnant with you, Sarah. Well, thanks for fucking telling me that, mom. Go fuck yourself. I could have done without that whole damn story. Right. Yeah, exactly. So why the fuck did she say it? Why the fuck would you ever, let me ask you, Sarah, would you ever, ever tell your daughters a fucking story like that? Even if it were true that you didn't want to have sex that night and you end up getting pregnant, would you ever tell that story to your daughters? No, it's like mean. And it's mean because what's and the message? And even mess- if it's true, it's just fucking mean. It's fucking mean. It still mean. don't matter. That's right. Yeah. That's right. If you were to speculate, did your mom tell you that story not knowing it would hurt or knowing it would hurt you? Now, her I could ask because she's still around. But um, If you were to speculate, your biological mom, did she not know that that would hurt? So she's basically a fucking clueless dumb fuck? Did she honestly not know so she's just fucking clueless? Or she did know and she did it to fucking stick it to you? I don't know. Maybe it's just true. Maybe she just didn't want to have sex that night. She had too much that, alcohol. But whether or not it's true isn't the point. Oh. We're not talking about that because you just said, oh. even if oh, it were true, yeah. I would never say it to my daughters because that would be hurtful. Right. So I'm wondering, why did she say it? And we're going to hear the answer when we come right back with more Badass Counseling. Hi, this is KC. There's an update from the Badass Counseling Desk. The audiobook version of the book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup, is now available exclusively only at badasscounseling.com. I am one of the lucky few who've had the privilege not only to read his books, but also to experience Sven face-to-face for countless one-on-one sessions. His intelligence, knowledge, and deep empathy have had a deep impact on me and the people I love. And I can say that he is amongst the most important people in my life for the last 10 plus years. I am thankful for you, badass Sven. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. And we are back with more badass counseling. We are talking with Sarah and she's about to answer a question for us. What is the reason, even if your mom didn't want to have sex that night, we've all had nights where we didn't want to have sex or mornings or afternoons or never at dusk, never at dusk. Um, 
we've all had those times where we didn't want to have sex. And so even if your mom felt that, fine. But why did she say it? You yourself said, I would never say that to my girls, even if it were true. So what I'm trying to ascertain is, did your mother tell you that because she's fucking clueless and didn't realize that that would be hurtful to a child, even an adult child? Or did did she know that it would hurt and she did it anyway? So she was malicious. So it's either clueless or malicious. Which do you think it was? Could it be somewhere in the middle, like a clueless maliciousness? It's probably malicious. Tell me, how how would that be? Either she knows it's going to hurt or she doesn't. Do you believe she knew it would hurt you? She must have. Right. Yeah. Right. You'd have to be pretty fucking stupid to not know that that would hurt another fucking person. Right. She must have known. So she wanted to dig at you. So this is not a nice person. And how old were you, to the best of your recollection, when your mother told you, your biological mother told you this story? 27. 27. Thanks, Mom. I left I left out the part through a DNA website where my biological father found out I existed and didn't want to acknowledge it. Wow. That was about four years ago. That was a good time. It was a Father's Day weekend, too. It was a good time. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Let me ask you. You had said, I 70% actually do love me. I 50% respect me. And the main reason you said that you don't respect you is because you can't set boundaries. Well, I, I've got news for you. I think pretty much everyone in my listening audience, including my staff and myself, will acknowledge that setting boundaries, even when you've done all the work, it's still a challenge at times. And there's no shame. You don't have to feel shame over not being able to set boundaries. And all we do is just strive to do a little better tomorrow. But to beat yourself up for it, considering the past that you've had, I think in a way it's not really fair to, you know, 30-year-old Sarah, to 40-year-old Sarah, to 20-year-old Sarah. You know, she was she was doing her best, you know. Um, but let me ask you this question. You 70% love yourself. You 50% respect yourself. And based on, like, who you are, how you live your life, and how you carry yourself in this world, and your brain, and your creativity, and your love, and, you know, your who you are, what percent do you like yourself? Do you just like who you are? I do. What I percent? Do. I've made it like a whole lot, like probably almost a hundred. Like I'm, I'm a good-hearted human being, and I do good things for other people. And um, I just am. Like I think I do all right. So you like you? Yeah, I'm not. I'm a pretty cool chick as far as chicks go. Yeah. It sounds like it. It sounds like, I love that. And you 70% love yourself. So you got some issues that you're, you know, you're working on. They're respecting, you know, treating yourself with respect and setting limits. And what the real sticking point there is I'm afraid to set limits because I'm afraid of people leaving. And the truth is this, whether you set limits or don't set limits, people are going to leave you. They just are. And it doesn't always mean I'm not good enough or whatever. Rob, let me ask you, have you had people, friends or lovers or wives or people in your or business associates have you had people leave you in your life like everybody else absolutely right right me too and i know casey is nodding her head it's and part of it is part of life that there's no sort of pain-free existence where no one leaves me it doesn't exist and but because of those deep messages that got pressed into you you've understandably You've taken every one of them as, I suck. Basically, I'm not good enough. I'm no good. Right. And it's not always that message. Have you ever, have you ever, um, in the dating that you've done in your life, Sarah, 
in the dating, mm-hmm. you know, whether whatever large or smaller amount. Or have you ever had a situation where you're dating someone or maybe you've heard about it or something, but where you're, you, you go on a date with someone and they look good on paper and you meet them in person. They're actually kind of good looking and they're funny and, you know, you get along great and, you, and they're likable, but you just don't feel the spark. Where they're actually kind of sure. a good person, but I just don't feel the spark. Okay, so you know, you sort of like, hey, you know, thanks, this was great. Um, I'm just not feeling it, but thank you. And in other words, there's nothing wrong with that person. There's nothing wrong with me. There's just no spark. I mean, it, it happens all the time, right? I mean, that's it. Even goes that way with friendships. The person's a nice person, but it's just like you know, we just sort of grow apart. I mean, that's kind of normal, wouldn't you say? Yes. You're right. 100. Right. 100%. Right. So someone leaving me, Sven, isn't necessarily a reflection that I'm a real stinker, but just that they didn't feel the connection. And that's okay. It can be hard to get over. I'm not disputing that. But it's kind of normal that sometimes things just, you know, sort of run their course or never start a course. They just not, the feel isn't there. Okay, so I want to go back, though. You got all these messages that you suck, you're unwanted, you're unwanted, you're unwanted, and that has definitely shaped your core belief system your entire life. I don't think that's up for debate. Um, But I guess my question is, all these people not wanting you your entire life, all these people didn't want you. All these people rejected you and, and taught you you don't count. All these people. And so my question is, what was wrong with you when you were born? What what was the reason? What was wrong with you that all these people didn't want you? Nothing. Oh. Wait, I, I, I thought you're not good enough. I thought the whole thing, the whole time, was they didn't want you because you're not good enough. And you're telling me there was nothing wrong with you. Is that correct? If you want to make it that basic, yes. But isn't yeah. it that basic? But my mind doesn't believe that part. Well, no, because your mind is still that little girl. Is still that little girl. But when we think about it, that little girl's feelings were profoundly crushed. But now looking back, we realize there was never anything wrong with you to begin with. They were just fucking assholes. They were irresponsible fucking people who didn't do their fucking job. They didn't know how. Oh, oh, wow. How quick you are to defend them. Isn't that I can defend the worst shit. It's crazy. And isn't it interesting? You'll defend them, but you won't defend yourself. I have a question. I have a question for you. In your life, and you've maybe heard me ask this question before, but in your life, have you ever hated yourself? Yeah. Dumb question, right? Okay. And what's the earliest you remember hating yourself? Forever. Okay. Like how early? I only remember recently starting to like myself. So everything before then. Everything before then. So going back to like as early as you can remember, three, four, five, six, yeah. seven. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And what is the, what would you say was the average percentage up until recently? What was the average percentage that you hated yourself? It's a pretty high number. Like what? I don't know. 80? Okay. 80%. Okay. Fair enough. And just out of curiosity, what percent uh, do you hate your mother? Like zero. Oh, that's beautiful. Okay. And did you ever hate your mother? Um, I think I was angry with her sometimes, but no. Angry sometimes. Um, okay. But never hate. Okay. I think she loved me how she could. It just wasn't what I needed. 
She loved you how she could. Okay. And by that, you mean what? I don't know. We never, I never had a deep conversation with her her whole entire life. Um, if anything was bad, we'd never talk about our feelings and she'd take me shopping. Um, right. But she really- went, she went out of her way to make you feel unwanted. She did not stand up for you, uh, to your stepdad and to his kids. Um, so she didn't know how to stand up to people because the way you described her earlier, earlier, she was a very powerful woman, very beautiful woman. And with beauty comes power and she probably had force of personality too. Yet she didn't stand up for you. She didn't know how to be a mom. She just didn't. Everyone loved her, her whole family, like her coming cousins and everybody. Everyone says my friends, everyone loved her. But she didn't love you. She didn't treat you with love. So she's getting all this love and she couldn't spare a morsel for you. Not how I needed it. Whoa, forgive me. How did she do it? If not how you needed it, how did she give love to a child? She bought me stuff. She bought you stuff. She sent me places. I think boarding school. I mean, preschool, she actually sent me to live with the family that owned the preschool. How is that love? I don't know. It's just my life. I didn't know it wasn't. But now you do know, right? You do know that treating a child that way, she's your mom's getting all this fucking love poured into her love cup. And the best she can do is buy you gifts. The best she can do, you're saying she did the best she could, is send you away, boarding school, and to live with the people who own the preschool and all that. No, that's not her doing her best. That's her saying, get the fuck away from me. That's not her being loving. And yet, the most fascinating part of this entire equation is that you hate your mother 0%, yet you hated yourself your entire life 80%. You were taught to hate yourself and protect the very person that caused you to hate yourself. You were a fucking child being raised by a hateful person, literally hateful. She taught you to hate yourself. Now, just out of curiosity, would you ever want any of your three teenage triplets to hate themselves because of you? No. Why? Why wouldn't you want that? This sucks so bad. That's right. That's right. And she did it anyway. She unleashed her hatred onto you and taught you to hate yourself your entire life. Thanks, Mom. You fucking bitch, Mom. You fucking bitch. You irresponsible child. And yet you defend her, Sarah. I'm sorry, I don't defend her. I'm watching the movie of your life. I'm waiting for the piano to fall on her fucking head. Fuck her. She had a child and everybody loved her and she didn't have even an ounce of love to give her to her daughter other than here. I'm gonna buy you something, kid. Now shut up and get away from me. What a fucking bitch. No, I don't believe that you don't hate her. I believe that you have tons of hate deep down inside of you. The real you has so much pain at the hands of your mother, let alone everybody else. But clearly, mom was top of the list. And, and just for the record, just so I'm clear, the person we're talking about is the woman whose vagina you came out of or the woman who adopted you? The one who always told me that she chose me. She cho- She fucking adopted you. And then she kicks you around. She kicks you in the ribs. She kicks you in the face, metaphorically speaking. She gives you no love. She has all this love pouring into her fucking life. And she doesn't even give you a fucking ounce. I'm sorry. We're all in this movie theater watching this movie, 103 of us or whatever. And we're all like, what the fuck is your problem, lady? 
We're throwing shit at the screen. We hate, I hate your mom. Who adopts someone and then sends them away? Who adopts someone and then makes them feel unwanted and they don't count and they don't matter? Who does, what kind of sick fuck does that? That's fucked up. That's just, I'm sorry. That is just hardcore fucked up. No mercy for that shit. I mean, she could have just, why did you do that, lady? I mean, we're watching the movie. We're seeing her in the, the hospital. And, and Steven Spielberg in making the movie is giving us flash forwards of the mother, the non-mother she's about to become. And all of us are shouting, get out of the hospital. Don't adopt this baby. Please leave it for that nice couple where the, the guy is a plumber and he's a nice man and the mother cooks cherry pies with ice cream, homemade ice cream in the summer and they don't have a lot of money, but boy, do they have love. We're shouting at the screen, hey, lady, get out of the fucking hospital. Don't adopt this little girl. Give her a chance to have love. And she didn't. The fucking bitch didn't. And then she dumped it on you. She allowed you to feel like you were the problem. She allowed you your entire life to feel unwanted and unloved because she was so fucking irresponsible. She taught you to hate yourself to the point where you said everything, always my entire life, at least 80%, I've hated myself, but I have 0% hate for her. She taught you that. One of the definitions of depression is anger turned inward. Yep, all the pain all the rage, all the anger, all the hate, all the just soul pain got turned on you and she was happy to let you. You weren't allowed to be angry at her. You said, maybe I got angry sometimes, but never hate at her. No, she wouldn't allow that. Kind of twists my whole reality around a different way. In what way? Talk to me. I don't know. It just makes it like clearer hearing it back from like another point of view because than the point of view I've seen it from. And who taught you the point of view you've seen it from? Her. How convenient. When I was in college, I had like a breakdown and I was out in Los Angeles and I had to come home. I fell apart and uh, I got put on all this medicine and I couldn't even like, I couldn't even stay awake. It was just really bad. It was too much. And I just wanted to like not be alive anymore. Right. I'm like, so I took too many pills one night and then I guess I drove my car and I crashed it a little bit, but you want she found me the next, I don't know. Like, it's so weird that I always ask myself, like, why did I do that? It's like, no wonder. Like, why not? Of course. Like, of course. You pack that much, you pack that much pain into anyone. And I, I was in a 12 year suicidal depression. You pack that much pain in anyone and they're gonna wanna end it. They're gonna want the pain to end, the self-hatred that you had felt since you were, as long as you can remember, to have the self-hatred end, to feel like you're a burden to life, to put everyone else out of their misery, to put yourself out of your misery. Of course you took the pills. Of course you went and drove and tried to crash the car or accidentally crashed the car. Of course you did. And who, and who watching the movie of your life would blame you? Who would blame you? Who could blame you? Put anyone else through what you went through. Not a personal life is going to blame you. No one with a conscience, at least. You were a child. Of course you were overwhelmed. Of course you were depressed. It makes total sense. Well, the weird thing is, like, after my mom died, I went to go visit her best friend of over 50 years. And we were talking about my mom. And she goes, hey, why'd you ever leave LA anyway? And I was like, she had never told her. 
Wow. Like she was too embarrassed of it. Like she never told her. Wow. What do you make of that? To me, that one hurt the worst because like she was embarrassed mm-hmm. by basically from hearing what you just said was like what she caused. Yep. It raises a really interesting question. So if this is how she ended up treating you, you know that there are women who, because of life circumstances or what have you, who cannot conceive children. There are men who cannot, who don't have the biology to have children. And these men and women and and non-binary persons adopt and they end up very often, more often than not, becoming just incredibly loving parents. They've got so much love to give and they're happy to, whether it's a, a person of their nationality or a child who has special needs and they've got so much love to give and they want to give that love and so they adopt. And so I'm left wondering, what do you believe is the reason that your mother adopted a child? I don't know because my daughter asked me that about five years ago. She goes, it sounds like you raised yourself. And I'm like, she's real smart. And I said, that's a good question. She's not here to ask her. Um, I want you to speculate based on what you know. Maybe just show me off. That's why I always felt that why she did it. It sure sounds like it. Yeah. You were a fucking embarrassment. Like, look what I, my mom was very much a look what I have, see what I have person. And I feel like that's, I was like an accessory. Of course she was a model. Yeah. You were an accessory to intended. You were kept, you were purchased for the purpose of making her look good. And what a fucking embarrassment you turned out to be. You leave Los Angeles. I'm not even going to tell my best friend of 50 years, you embarrass me. I don't want you. I'm going to send you away. She was doing that long before you ever got to college or long before you got to LA. You were had in her life for one purpose, to make her look good now. I don't know what you would call that, but I know a whole lot of people listening right now that would call that some seriously shallow shit. What a fucking tool. She uses you to get her own needs met. You said to me earlier that everyone always said how much everyone loved your mom. Your mom needed people pouring love into her, onto her, and she needed to be showered with love. So you existed for the purpose of her getting more love. You were basically a tool for her to get her own love needs met. Your needs didn't matter. They never did or rarely did. She was using you the entire time. And then she sets into place this myth that you're no good, that you're unlovable, that you're not good enough, that you're unwantable. And she gets to continue to look like perfect princess. But she's been the fucking problem from the beginning. But she taught this little girl that the little girl was the problem. And so even into that little girl's 50s, she's still believed it. And it was never true to begin with. I asked you the question, what was wrong with you when you were born? What was the reason they didn't want you? There was nothing wrong with you. You were being used. And she allowed other people to abuse you and mistreat you. She allowed it. And it started with her. Do you know that I have clients? I have people who have been on this show 
who were mistreated by the world around them. But when they walked in the door at night, they were adored. They were treated with respect by their father, by their mother, or by their older brothers. They were, or sisters, they were loved and treated with respect. So when they went out and endured the slings and arrows of the world, it just rolled off their back, like water off a duck's back. That if you're getting that love and that appreciation and that respect at home, it is such a powerful counterweight to anything you're getting outside those doors. Which is why a lover will say, you know, when I come home, I know that my wife loves me. And that gives me the strength to go back out there one more day. Well, it's the same way times a thousand when you're a child, but you weren't getting it at home. You were getting just the opposite. And she was not protecting you. She was sending the message, you're unwanted. I don't want you. You have to make me proud. And if not, you're an embarrassment. I'm going to push you away. She was using you from the fucking beginning. I have no mercy for your mother. I don't give a shit. Maybe she went through shit in her childhood, whatever. Fine, then don't have a child. She went hunting for a child. So don't give me some shit, mom, that you had, oh, such a hard childhood. I didn't know any better. Well, if you didn't know any better, why did you have a kid? Why did you go find one? Why did you go purchase one? You've been fed a sack of shit that your mom, she probably believed she was a good mom. In, as best you know, did your mom believe that she was a good mom? Yes. Oh, I then I have to ask, which just slays you more? What grates on you more? The mother that she was or that she actually believed and sold the notion that she was a great mom? I think the worst part is other people believed it. Of course they did because she sold it so well and you just wanted her love. The attention, the affection, the approval, the acceptance, the acknowledgement of what of some of the crummy stuff she'd done, maybe even an apology, you just wanted love and you were happy to do anything. That's how much children love their parents. And it was bullshit from the beginning. You've believed your entire life. You know what's wrong with you? You've believed your entire life that you're the problem. That's what your problem is. You've been taught to believe that you are the problem. And it was never true to begin with. It wasn't your fault. None of it. She was just a fucking worthless parent. So where do you go from here with all that kind of fun news? Now is where the real journaling starts. Now is where the real letter writing starts. See, prior to about mm, 45 minutes ago, you had 0% hate for your mother. So I'm sure those letters to your mother were just lovely. Now, if you were to be honest and write a fucking letter to your mother, your dead mother. Oh, I'm guessing that letter would have a whole different flavor, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. Let me let me start. Let me start your letter for you. For you. What was by the way? What was your mother's first name? Margaret. Margaret. You could have fucking walked away. You fucking piece of shit. I don't ever. I I'm banning any of your bullshit stories about your fucking childhood or how bad you had it. Whatever the bullshit was. Fuck you. You didn't have to walk into that hospital. You didn't have to walk into that adoption agency if your life was so bad. Fuck you. Then you treat me. I was a child. You treat me like I was the problem, like I was unwanted, like I was bad, like I wasn't good enough. No, it was you. I was a child. There was never anything wrong with me, Margaret. And you have the audacity to sell yourself as a good parent, Margaret basically let everyone believe that I was a problem. I was a child. 
I hate you, Margaret. I fucking hate you for what you did. Letter's going to sound a little different. Yeah. And until all of the those real feelings come out, you're lying to yourself. I have a I have a very dear friend of mine. He realized oh, about five years ago how much he hated his father, even though he adored his father. He grew up adoring his father, even until his father's death in his 30s, in, in my friend's 30s. But he and I were having beers one night. Just hit him like a freight train out of the blue. He says, fuck, Sven, I hate my old man for what he did. Burdening me with you know some things in life, the family business, I didn't want it. He never asked me, et cetera, et cetera. And my buddy did some healing work on himself for some time. He came to me, that was about five years ago. He came to me about two years ago and he says, Sven, uh, the hate has passed. I got it all out, like you said. I still love my father. And I realized that he screwed me and I realized that, but I got that hate out. I don't hate him anymore. But my friend spent three years in that hate and he allowed himself to feel it because his dad fucked over his 20s. His dad put the company in the son's name right when the company was about to be invested, investigated the third time for tax fraud. And so he screwed my friend out of basically his 20s and his 30s. Right? Yeah, he had a lot of hate, but he still loved his old man. But he allowed himself to feel it. What you need to do here, Sarah, is you need to get into the real shit. What we just did today, you said it earlier, you know, that sort of changes my reality. Yeah, but that's what we did because your reality wasn't reality. It was this giant fucking myth that was put in place to make you the scapegoat so that mom could look good in her pretty flowers and her lovely model body and face. And fuck her, you fucking used me. You bought me to make you look good. And if you're in your letters and you're journaling about your mom, if you aren't using the word hate, then you're not scouring the pan. You know what it's like to fucking, you know, do a steak in the broiler in the oven, you know, and the drippings go on the lower pan and then you set it off next to this, next to this sink and then you go eat your steak and your veggies and your broccoli and, you know, maybe some good Italian bread. And, and then, but guess what? At the end of the meal, you can't just shove that pan in the dishwasher because that grease gets caked in. So you gotta get a Brillo pad, you gotta get the, get the Ajax, and you gotta scour that fucking thing, don't you? Because otherwise it gets that caked in brown and black, the, how grease bakes into metal. You gotta yeah. scour that. Well, that's what this is. You've got hatred and anger and pain that has been baked into that pan of your soul. It and explains why a couple times I really went off on her and I couldn't figure out what the fuck I was mad at. That's it. But I fucking, like, I was like, I literally I don't ever scream like that. And I was pissed. Um, well, and how did she respond? Just out of curiosity. She just sat there and stared at me. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Your mom deep down was scared of you. And I don't mean just your anger. What she was scared of is that you were the one person who knew the truth. You had all the power. But I didn't. It was in you. The mere fact that you just felt that anger, you didn't know where it was coming from and you weren't cognizant of what the truth was, but she knew. But some, I knew I was mad. Right. Yeah. And see, I see this all the time with clients, especially young people who are pissy or get angry at a parent, but, and they can get mad at the parent, but they never go down to what the real shit is. And often, cause it's, they don't know what the real shit is. They don't know what it is. Yeah. You got deep shit down there and we took some huge leaps in getting it out today. And there's more there, but the, the door has been unlocked now to that vault. Now you gotta go in and start unpacking everything because what you were taught was reality was a complete myth and you are now shattering the family myth. 
Yeah. That's right. And that it was never your fault to begin with. You were just a sweet little girl and you still are. I think you're a wonderful woman. I, my producers are shaking, nodding their heads. You're a wonderful person. My listeners are nodding their heads. It's like we're all watching the movie cheering for you. And the piano did fall on Margaret's fat fucking head. We don't like her. You can if you want, whatever, but we don't. You don't have to, you can't make us like her. We watched how she raised you. We watched how she didn't protect you. We don't like her at all. Let me ask you this question. What's going on inside of you right now? What are you feeling? Uh, bewildered. Um, definite aha moment or moments or whatever. And a little bit like, oh, well, yeah, of course that makes sense when you put it like that. Yep. <laughs> like, what was the single biggest epiphany that you had? I don't even want to say it out loud. Say like, it. That I, say it. That I... I can't. I'm not going to say it as mean as you say it. No, no. You, Because if you can't say it, you ain't scouring that pan, young lady. If you can't say it, you ain't scouring the pan. That I'm fucking mad at her. Oh, come it's on. You can do better than that. Oh, so, oh, wait. Do you or do you not? If you're to be totally honest, do you or do you not hate your mother? Now I do. Okay, so say the fucking it's words. It's not fucking fair. I say fucking the hate fucking words. It's not fair. I just did. Yeah, yes, you did. I fucking hate it's her. It's not fair. You no, know, it's not. She had all the power. You had none. And she used her power to take advantage of you. She used your, her power to make you hate yourself. And she used it to teach you to hate yourself and adore her. And then I keep signing up. The men in my life I brought into my life were right. just like her. Well, but those relationships are based on the belief that this is love. Anybody who treats you like shit, well, that's familiar. That's normal. That's what you were taught love is. There are no red flags. They were just treating you the way you were familiar. If someone had come in and been nice and shit, you wouldn't have known what to do. You would have been bored. Where's the excitement? It's still you fucking weird them. if someone comes of in and is nice is. to me. And that's going to change. That's going to change. You want to know why it's going to change? You won't even have to do anything because you're going to realize now after today, the genie's out of the bottle. You're going to know <laughs> what doesn't feel like love. And you're going to not need that excitement. You're going to realize, oh shit, this is, this is my mom. This guy is my mom and I'm walking away from this. And you're going to, after today, you're going to begin more and more, especially if you do continue to do the work, you're going to more and more seek out people who are just kind, people who honor your boundaries. And you're going to stand up your boundaries more now too, because you're going to realize, I don't care if you walk away. Yeah, it'll sting a bit, but I don't, it's okay to walk away. I just want someone who's going to treat me well. And that's called self-love. But you've been taught self-hate. And what we did today was we took some dynamite. We blew up the self-hate. That's right. Yeah. But now you can love yourself. And uh, one sort of last question. What was the biggest surprise today in all of the experience of us talking? What was the biggest surprise? How quickly you were able to dial into it. Mm. For me, honestly. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been meeting with counselors for years. I mean, this is not anything I haven't been throwing the kitchen sink at for a while. And no one's delved into it that deep, that fast. And I like literally, I literally thought it was more of my abandonment thing from being um, right. given up for adoption. I thought that was my core. And now this is not my core. That's not my core. My core is the mistreatment that I withstood as a child and as an adult. And it's just bullshit. It's, it's not total nice. bullshit. You got fucked up. Yeah. You did. Yeah. And there yeah. is, and, but what gives me the most hope that I love the most about everything you said today I 70% love myself, Sven. I love that so much. Come a long way. That's beautiful. I basically 100% like myself. And the more you do this work, now you're going to see momentum. It's going to accelerate much more quickly. All of the growth, all of the healing, all of the self-love, 
it's going to move much more quickly now because we you had a massive breakthrough today and i admire your courage you did it sarah this was huge today yeah i'm very grateful i'm very grateful to you guys having me on today i'm grateful for your time um this was remarkable so thank now, you very much uh, you're welcome but i i just want to tell you i've been where you are different reasons but i've been where you are and i didn't do the work today i just asked the questions you did the work you had the courage to go into the ugliest shit of your life. And this is the scariest shit. I get the toughest men and the toughest non-binaries. I get tough women and uh, they're all scared of this. But you did it. Thank you. I was able to take you there with my questions simply because you had the courage to do it. And I applaud you for that. I wanna thank you so much for being on the show. Any last thoughts or questions that we didn't cover? No, this was excellent. I really appreciate it. Very well, grateful. We appreciate having you on, Sarah. Thank you so much. On behalf of the listening audience, I, we're all like very, very grateful. <laughs> and to everyone listening around the world, thank you so much for tuning in and sharing Sarah's very, very, very powerful story uh, with me, with KC, and with Rob. Rob, any closing thoughts today? Sven, you may not know this, but I'm an emotional guy, and this was um, hard to listen to. And yet I'm so happy for her. I mean, there's nothing sadder than a person who starts out life with parents that don't want to hold the baby. I, I just can't imagine. Wow. It just made me uh, made me sad. Very, really? Very sad. But I'm, wow. I'm so happy that she's got the way now. Amen. Amen. Uh, just, we're all so happy for you, Sarah. Really, it's just... It's fantastic. Now, would you promise you'll keep doing the work and keep diving in and doing those exercises in the book and the journaling and so forth? You promise you'll you'll stick with it? 100%. I'm not going backwards. All right. Good. <laughs> <Right in> here. <laughs> Good. And and I, I love it. That's what I'd love to hear. And um, I, we all would love it if you'd stay in touch with the show. And uh, we, we want to hear about your progress in the future, okay? Absolutely. Thanks so much. You guys have a great rest of your day. Appreciate you. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for being with us. And to everyone around the world, thank you so much. On behalf of the production team of the Badass Counseling Show, this has been another kick-ass episode, and I want you to absolutely and unequivocally have a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day. Hey.